esteemed Victor Oyekpa. Did I pronounce that right? It's Onyekpa. Onyekpa. You know I'm Yoruba. <laughs> I'm a Yoruba girl, so I'm not too sure. That's alright. Okay, yes. He is um the COO of KPMG Lagos and before we actually answer this, do you have your PVC? Of course I have my PVC. Oh. I have I have been voting since nineteen ninety-nine. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and I remember the the election before the last one. Um, I was living in a different place from where I live at the moment. And at the time, the process of changing residence and then having them move their center was very difficult. Mm. And so we had to, you know, go back to our old center to be able to vote. So I had to take my family early in the morning. I had to leave the house at about 6.30 because they would, you know, put roadblocks by 7 and stop movement. So I left the house 6.30, went to a friend's house. And stay there the whole day just to be able to vote. To vote. So okay. That's how serious I take voting. I love that. I absolutely love that. Mm. There's always short, those ones. Long story short, they climbed the tree and fell down. Ooh. And became unconscious. Eh? I tried to revive him. I couldn't, obviously. How did you try? I mean, I was calling his name. I was saying, you know, you know, you know, get up, get up, get up. What's wrong with you? Are you okay? Can you get up? Because the guy was just barely audible. listening to the off the record podcast by naya and today's episode long time no listen or no episode actually it seems like it's been a really long month but here we go um and first i want to put out a disclaimer my last episode was with another it was with another esteemed old man if <laughs> if i i don't know if i should put it that way and now we're doing another episode like that it's not, I would say this is a pattern or a series, but that's just where my interests have been focused this season. And you guys are just going to have to enjoy it that way. And I'm actually talking about, well, today we're going to be talking on a subject that has caused a lot of ruckus on social media over the years, which is, you know, basically being doing a nine to five, having a career within an organization, as opposed to being an entrepreneur, because... Our generation, as we all know, is very do your own thing, start your own business. If you're not running your own thing, what are you? Everybody wants to be a CEO. Everybody wants to be a boss, which, again, I'm not against. But now we're going to have a bit of insight into someone that has been um, doing a nine to five and building his own career within an organization that he doesn't own. And we're going to see, we're going to talk to him. And obviously, we have some questions here that. Some of you sent in, some are my questions, and we're just going to, you know, have that chat. So today we have the esteemed Victor Oyekpa. Did I pronounce that right? It's Onyekpa. Onyekpa. You know, I'm Yoruba. <laughs> I'm a Yoruba girl, so I'm not too sure. That's all right. Okay, yes. He is um, the COO of KPMG Lagos, and he's also 
the partner of the um, risk management. Okay, anymore. Okay, tax. So now it's just tax. Mm -hmm. The partner of the tax unit of or tax division of KPMG Lagos. And so yes. Thank you so much for being on here, Victor. Thank you for having me. Mm, you know, I, I want to talk about what it took to set this meeting, the coming and the going, because this, if you think you're busy in Lagos, no, you're not as busy as Victor. I promise you, you're not as busy. This is he's the definition of catching flights, not feelings. If Lagos today, London tomorrow, that's the vibe. <laughs> that's the vibe. But um, yes, so to get into it, we, we're going to get to know him a bit more and we're going to start with a bit of an icebreaker. So we're going to play Would You Rather. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so would you rather, for the rest of your life, never listen to music or never watch movies? I'd rather not watch movies. Are you serious? Yes. Do you, are you not a movie person? I am a movie person interested in music. Music, <laughs> music trumps movie for me. I think I actually would agree with you because as much as movies are very relaxing for me, in my day-to-day, -day, I have to listen to music to kind of be functional. So if I don't have... I'd rather stare at the ceiling and just listen to music. And I can't watch movies while I'm doing other things as right. opposed to music. So I think I'd agree with you on that. If you had to drink apple juice or orange juice for the rest of your life, what would it be? Orange juice. Oh, why? I don't even drink apple juice as we speak. <laughs> why? Like Apple juice is so superior. Is it? Yes. Apple juice is very chill. Citrus is so like why is or orange juice does too much. <laughs> but apple juice is so chill. It's just like mmm mellow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> orange for me. <laughs> okay. Um. Would you rather be the absolute best at something that no one took seriously, or average at something that was well respected? That's a tough one. Um. And. The way I'll answer that question would be to say an absolute best in something that nobody takes seriously. And the Why? reason for that, again, has to come from my background. I mean, growing up, as an example, um, we wanted to play football. But mm. Nobody would let you play football because <laughs> it wasn't taken seriously. Yeah. So the fact that it isn't serious, you know, serious today doesn't mean it will not be serious tomorrow. You know, it's, mm. you know, it's one Second one, um, I don't know if you're into the world of Art, fine art. What you find is that a lot of those painters, the masters, yeah. you know, uh, during their lifetime were very poor because their art was not appreciated at the time. At the time, I mean, you know, they, they painted masterpieces mm -hmm. which nobody paid attention to. Yeah. And several years later, those things command millions of dollars. So the point is, I have to be the best at whatever it is that you're doing. It is you're doing. I might not appear important today. You never know. Okay, well, that's a very nice way to look at things. <laughs> um, okay, would you rather be, you know, remembered in the history books for something terrible, something atrocious like Hitler, or be completely forgotten after you die? Well, you have to have a name, however, <laughs> however you make the name. Um, so, yeah, I like to be remembered, hopefully, for something worthwhile, but. Uh, First, get remembered, and then and you then. decide what is for later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, now, for the final one, would you rather change the outcome of the last election or decide the outcome of the next one? Before we actually answer this, do you have your PVC? Of course, I have my PVC. Oh. I have. I have been voting since nineteen ninety nine. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and I remember the. 
the election before the last one, um, I was living in a different place from where I live at the moment. And at the time, the process of changing residence and then having them move their center was very difficult. Mm. And so we had to you know, go back to our old center to be able to vote. So I had to take my family early in the morning. I had to leave the house at about 6.30 because they would you know, put roadblocks by 7 and stop movement. So I left the house 6.30 went to a friend's house and stayed there the whole day just to be able to vote. To vote. So okay. that's how serious I take voting. I love that. I absolutely love that. Okay, so yes, back to our question. Would you rather change the outcome of the last election or decide the outcome of the next one? Well, I think the last election is behind us. Um, I don't know that we can do a lot about it. And so I would rather look forward. Mm. And I would say... Um, let's take the lessons yeah. of what happened with the last election and make sure we get it right the next this one. time. And I say that with all sense of responsibility because I'm of the view that if we don't get it right this time, <laughs> it, might it's be, be it, might, it might be our last chance to get it right as a country. So really, for me, everything rides on the next election. I would ask who you're going to vote for, but I feel like that's a very private that's question. Very private. Yeah, and, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to leave that there. So let's have a bit of your background now. So for your background, we want to know what was growing up like for Victor Onyekpa. <laughs> Did I get that right? Onyekpa. Onyekpa. I'll get it right before the episode ends. Onyekpa. Yes. Victor Onyekpa. How was growing up for you? What was your childhood like? What were your parents like? Where did you grow up? Okay. Thank you for that question. Um, I grew up in Abba. Oh. Abba is in Abia State, <laughs> and um, growing up was fun. Um, I look back to my childhood and I kind of compare how I grew up and vis-a-vis how my kids are growing up now, and you know, it's, it's just a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, as an example, you know, we used to go to school as a group of children, and going to school, our parents would just come and drive past us on their way to work, and nobody ever thought about getting a ride with your parents to school, you know, so... We'd all work together, mm-hmm. you know, as a team of, uh, you know, in a team, you know, you know, to school, and then come back together after school. Um, I didn't like to study. Um, I, I really absolutely hated studying. And, uh, I've come to notice that the most intelligent men are always the ones that are like, oh, I didn't, I didn't like to study. I didn't like school. I didn't like books. But then, what happened? There's always this change, yes. and all of a sudden, you guys become the smartest in the group, and it's not fair. Cause I don't think that change ever came for me. <laughs> well, so I will tell, I'll tell, I'll tell two stories. Okay. Um, the first was in primary school. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, I had to write what, they, what was called common entrance to be able to get admission to a secondary school. And so my mom was watching me. And the common entrance date was coming, and there was no no indication that I was ever going to be for it. And then when it was just two weeks to the exams. She called me and said, let's make a deal. I said, what deal? And she said to me, sit down and study over the next two weeks. And I promise you that once the exams are over, you can do whatever you want. I won't stop you. What a trap. That's a trap. <laughs> and I was like, my word. What a world of freedom ahead of me. And all I have to do is study for two, two weeks. weeks. So I sat down 
Oh. I studied for two weeks, and all I was thinking about was the freedom <laughs> After. at the end of the two weeks. So that was probably what made me pass the common entrance exams. And I remember the last day after I had written the exam, I just got home, dropped my bag. I, I, I was about to take up my mother and said, come, come, come. I said, mommy, we had a deal. <laughs> said, yes, I know, but eat first before you go. <laughs> you know, so that was one, one, one incident I would say probably made me pass my common entrance exam. Start reading. Secondary school. The second one was in secondary school. So I went to an all-boys school. Okay. And then... In Abba? No, in Omoaya this time. Okay. Um, and in the school... We, we did all the manual work. So there was a time that they would ring the bell in the afternoon for what they called manual labor. My dad speaks on that, and that's yeah. so crazy to me because I remember even when I was in university and people, um, the chancellor, no, it was the dean of the school, and he was mm -hmm. like, we're growing adults and people need to take care of their environments. So mm -hmm. the hostels, they couldn't, like, how come that cleaner, how come cleaners were always coming to clean that we should do it ourselves? And it was mm -hmm. like, you're paid to do that. Why would we clean ourselves? And I, I told my dad about it, and he said, eh? We used to cut grass. Yes. We would cut. We, everybody had its, um, a space in the giant field that yes. they were supposed to take care of or something yes. like that. So you cut the grass around the school. You swept around your both inside their hostels and around them. Wow. Um, you washed your own clothes. As a junior student, you also washed the clothes <laughs> of, your, of your senior. So we did all of that. But, you know, um, back in the day, I was fashionable as, um, you know, some, some guy that... You didn't really take part in the manual level. So what used to happen was, you know, when they ring the bell for, for you know, for that, um, we we'll just, you know, jump the fence and go out of the school. Jump the fence. Yes. You know, you know, it was an all boys school, and you know, it kind of felt it's only the, you know, the people who don't know their way around. <laughs> and actually do the labor. And, and do the labor. So this was in my year one. Obviously, I had joined, the, I, had, I had entered the school, and I. Kind of said, yeah, I kind of like this. You know, who wants to do manual level? And so I joined the gang of people who would sit around and do it. Mm. So on this fateful day, they rang the bell as usual, and um, you know we left the school. Where did you go to? Yeah, that's the thing. So uh, first of all, back back in the day, this was soon after the civil war. For several years, this is what uh, maybe eleven. Several years later, after the Civil War, but um, there are people that uh, their education was affected by the Civil War, so they were just getting back to school. So in my year one, um, I was I think 10, 11. There were people in our class that were you know 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Wow. So myself and one of the more senior people in my class left the school, just wandered off to a primary school nearby. So when we got there, the school had closed because this manual labor is usually in the afternoon. And then, you know, we entered the classroom. And while we were there, some other students from our school that had done the same thing, wandered into in the same class. The classroom where we were. This, this guy was in year two. Where we were in year one. Yeah, he was in class two, where class in class one. And then said to us, Oh, some some people are, are plucking some other seeds, you know, somewhere out there that he wants to go there. To see if they could, you know, maybe give him some. And you know, I was restless. So my the guy I had arrived the school with put some benches together and lay down to sleep. And I, I wasn't feeling sleepy. <laughs> so, you know, going to get there was like a good idea. So this other guy and I went to, to join them. And 
that, you know, the villagers, when they are done, gave us some. And I thought that, that was a decent reward for, you know, for the afternoon. <coughs> but my, my friend, well, not quite my friend at the time, said to me, you know, hang on, I'm going to climb the tree and get some more for us. Oh, wow. And I went, I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> if I had never mind, I've been climbing trees, you know, from my mother's room, so I'd be all right. Mm. Long There's always short, those ones. Long story short, they climbed the tree and fell down. Oh. And became unconscious. Eh? I tried to revive him. I couldn't, obviously. How did you try? I mean, I was calling his name. I was saying, you know, you know, you know, get up, get up, get up. What's wrong with you? Are you okay? Can you get up? Because the guy was just barely audible. So I ran to the classroom where the more senior person, you know, was sleeping. And I thought he would know what to do. And I woke him up and I said, this guy has fallen from the tree and he's not, he's not moving. He grabbed me and ran off. I left the guy. Rather than go to give the guy some help, he grabbed me and ran off. And then near the school, he stopped and turned to me and said, if anybody ever hears about this, you are so dead. Oh, what? Yes. One, that is so scary. Yes. Two, what if that like what if that young boy had died? What if something yes. serious happened to him? Yes. Like how would he have been able to live with himself? Like he didn't even want to try and see what was happening, he if he really, could help. He's like, Nope, we were he never was, here. He was he wasn't gonna be involved at all. And he wasn't gonna let me get involved because if I got involved Obviously by implication he was I would, there. I would, I would call him at some point. And he was really intimidating. So I got to school. I must mention that before this time I never sat down to read. As, as always, <laughs> and so we got in school, you know, go back to school, and you know, I became a very worried young man because I kept wondering, what if that guy dies? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, you know, whatever could have happened to him? Should I have let this guy, you know, you know, run away with me? Mm -hmm. Could I have gone back and maybe tried to, to, yeah, know, to, to help? So I had all those thoughts running in my mind. But anyway, the consequence was that when they would now say it's time for prep. I go to the classroom and sit quietly and open a book in front of me. I wasn't quite reading, <laughs> but the discipline of sitting down and opening a book yeah. was formed during that very difficult moment. To the glory of God, the young man survived, oh. um, had multiple surgeries before he recovered, oh. um, returned to school maybe about two months, two months later and was fine. Did he, did he snitch? Of course he did. Oh, um, wow. So, ironically, he was like uh, the, uh, the niece to the principal. Hey. So this happened on a Friday, this, you know, this, this thing. And then on the Monday, during the school assembly, the principal came and said, you know, this had happened. And that he understood that some students were with him when he fell. And rather than help him, they abandoned they him away. and ran off. And in fact, he said to us, for your own sake, you know, just don't let him recover because if he recovers and says who you are, <laughs> then it's all over. You guys are so so in a bad place. You will now be thinking, should he recover? God, you don't even know whether to pray whether he should recover or not. I had I had that that conflict, um, you know, for for maybe an hour, and then I decided that actually I rather have him recover. Um, than not. Oh, bless your soul. And then I said to myself, <laughs> so he will recover. He will tell the story. I'll be expelled. Oh, wow. And then I'm going to go home. My mother will ask me, what happened? 
Muhammad and Asad are Christian. You know, they sent me to school to go and study. <laughs> and then I ran off to pluck fruits. To go and pluck some fruits. And some guy fell down and then I ran off without helping and that's why they have expelled me. You know, it doesn't even look right. But yeah. I felt that well I'd rather live with that than live with his death on my conscience. So when he recovered and I saw him in school, uh, I avoided him the whole of that day. You didn't go and beg? No, I mean, I, I, I avoided him the whole of that day because I knew the principal would have gotten to him before me, so there was nothing to beg. Mm. So when I saw him, I was like, okay, so the game must be up now. I should, I should expect the announcement. <laughs> Pack I, your luggage. I, I thought the next day, being a Thursday, there'd be an emergency assembly, assembly where the news would be announced that these are the guys that were involved and would be expelled. And then the Thursday came, there was no emergency assembly. And then the Friday came, not an emergency assembly either. Hmm. On a Saturday, I went to meet him. <laughs> so after we exchanged pleasantries and I apologized. Pleasantries? Yeah, the guy was really happy to see me, ironically. And I said to him, did the principal ask you who you were with when this happened? He said, yes, of course, no, of course, yes, he did. And I said, did you, did you tell him? He said, yes, I did. But I also explained to him that you asked me not to climb. Mm -hmm. That I actually climbed against your you know, your, your, will. Your, your advice. I said, okay. Well, but I was there with you, right? And so maybe maybe Monday the announcement will come. Monday came normal assembly, not him, not him. The principal mentioned that the guy had returned and he was glad that he fully recovered and all of that. They didn't did mention that, you know, didn't mention us. So in this process, I think what happened was that when they told him I was the guy with him, he was that would have said Victor. <laughs> and then when I remembered me, some little 11, 11 year old that didn't know his left and his right. Yeah, yeah. especially because you were younger than I was, them. I was very young. But that one, you know, kind of thing dismissed it that I thought it was somebody more responsible. I think that was what must have happened. happened. You know, so I wasn't called up, I wasn't expelled, and uh, but from having to sit down. From when this thing happened to worry about it yeah the discipline of sitting down came was, was developed <laughs> so from that moment i could actually sit down and read so if that had not happened you may never have been I able to never do have that been able to read and i suspect i would come out with very average results in secondary school i came out with very average results in secondary school actually and it was when it was getting to my final year that's like my year 12 and it, they were talking about, they put me on probation. Oh. And they were like, you may, if you don't pass your first time exams, you may repeat. Now the problem is, I was a big babe. And I could not repeat. No. <laughs> repeat. In this same school. In this same school. And my, and my, father, and my father had beat his chest at that school. I'll go back. <laughs> I started to think about my life. I actually... At first, I tried to study and it was so difficult. So I started making friends in the lower levels so that at least I won't be left. Yep. <laughs> but then I was like, my dad kept telling me that there's nothing to it because it was actually really just mathematics. I was getting average scores, Bs, Cs, and every other thing. But math, I would always fail. And it was very disappointing to my father because my dad is a mathematician. Oh, wow. He actually even has e-learning softwares that teach people math. So he was like, how can you... Like, it was even embarrassing to him at the point. How come? And he, he actually always told me, he was like, Chenna, you can do this. I know that you have the capacity for it. What is the problem? When the fear of repeating Shah came, 
I picked up my books, I started reading, and I passed her. I yeah, didn't repeat. Then when I was entering uni again, they got me a lesson teacher for my work and my jam, and I was mm-hmm. very serious. I was like, I can't come back here. Mm-hmm. It was my pride that was feeling all Not this. Anything else. I can't come back here. And I, I got really good grades to enter my university. And that discipline just came yeah. at that point. And in uni, if you ask any of my classmates, they will tell each other reads. From the first week of the semester, and I've, I realized that I read best like in libraries. I'm not mm-hmm. one of those people that reads in their rooms. Like, right. I want to be in the library. I want right. to know that, yes, I'm reading. So mm-hmm. I would go from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. in the library straight. I'm reading. So everybody used to see me like, Chen, she has gone to read again. I'll be okay. <laughs> so I always used to read. And that's why, that time, that fear was what just made me have that habit. But before that, where would you see me reading? I just couldn't. Why? There were so many more important things to be doing than to actually be reading. I don't know what, as a student, mm-hmm. every other thing is more important than your studies. Yes. The pra- that's, Ironically. That's, <laughs> that is the one thing you've been charged to do by your parents. But that's read the one thing you don't want to do. And that's the one thing you don't want to do mm. for some reason. So, yeah, I can understand that. I can completely understand that. But now let's talk about university. What did you study and why did you study what you studied? Like, what led you there? Where did, what school did you go to? I went to University of Benin. And I, I studied chemistry. Um, yeah. So the stress of chemistry um, happened. So I had put in for civil engineering because my father was a civil engineer and it made just make sense that I should also be a civil engineer. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, when we were doing our, our school SAT exams, <coughs> I, I fell ill on the day we were doing physics. I couldn't write the exam on physics. So I passed all my papers except physics because I couldn't Sweet. write the exam. And of course, you can't do engineering without physics. And so you didn't want to go back and rewrite? No, I didn't want to go back and rewrite and, and, and they write. Because, you know, it just, there was no, there was no. So, so the advice really was, you know, go in. And change while you are course. there, you could always change I mean, go course. in, change course, obviously, and you can always write it again. Or while you are there, apply for a change of department. Um, so yeah, I had to then. I mean, I passed the ironically, civil engineering was very competitive, and I, I got I got admitted, which means even the engineering I didn't write in um, for the school start I wrote. I, I did very well in the in the jam to be able to get admission. So I went in, but I had to do a change of course, and then I started studying chemistry. And that's the other thing. I actually got into school late because all the process of changing courses, you know, from you had to go there was a lot of a lot of process. And I was living in Abba, having to come to to Benin from Abba, and then you know I would come, and I wouldn't have enough time. To, then I had to go back to Abba, and then plan on that, on that visit to come and continue. And you know when you come, there's a bit of time, try, just reconnecting to where you stopped the last time. They're probably looking for your file and all of that. And then you know you've only got two days, and I have to go back after two days. So it took me a long time to finally get all of that done. Um, by the time I was done, you know school was way. We're, we're gone in terms of studies and everything. I remember that the first day I entered the math class, I didn't do, I was an average math student. And it, even though because I was in science, I had to know math. But you know, the further math that some people did, I didn't do it. I thought uh, regular math was enough for me. I remember the first day I entered the math class, they were doing what they called, you know, calculus now, dy/dx. dy/dx. I, I had no idea what that was about. The YDX yeah, was a principality. No idea what, principal. what the YDX was about. <laughs> and then, while I was there, I completely lost. Some students said 
you know, excuse me, sir, I, was, I, I understood what you were doing up till this point, but how you move from this point to the final, uh, you know, answer is not very clear to me. The lecturer said to him, I don't know how I moved from that point to the last, you know, to the final answer, she go back to secondary school. And I was thinking, this guy knows some of the things, and he has to go back to secondary school. That means me that I don't know any of the things. I have to go back to maybe class four, not even just class five in secondary school. But you know, I've, I've never understood why teachers and lecturers would be mean to students. You, it, like I said, it's the same thing with students. You have one job, impact the student, let the student understand what you're teaching. So why is it so difficult to explain something or to go back for students? Why do they find it so hard? I really do believe a lot of them are very frustrated because if not, why do you find it so difficult to go back and to just explain? When I'm explaining things to people, I want them to understand. I'm the one like, do you want me to go back? Do you want me to explain it? Because you want them to understand. These lecturers and these teachers will take pride in the fact that nobody passes my course. And the best you can get is a C. Why? That means you're a bad teacher. Well, I don't... I don't know what, so the way I, I don't know the answer, let's start from there, <laughs> I don't know why, but you find that teachers um, back in the day, maybe up till now, tend not to be friendly, especially when it comes to explaining things to, to their students. They have to then kind of sit back and say, maybe it reflects the society. Because think about it, if you were looking for help and you went to some ministry or the other, the first answer you typically get is no, it can't be done. What you're asking us to do can't be done. Yeah. Um, they have to beg and maybe offer some inducement before that same thing then gets done. You, so know, maybe, you know how people say uh, the, your, the government is actually a representation of the, the people. people yes. As much as we hate to admit it, maybe we actually deserve the government we have. Because they're coming from us. <laughs> they're us. And the way, to, you know, the way to know is, you know, um, be a member of a small club, appoint leadership of that club, and then ask for accountability. Hmm. You'd be amazed at how much they resent you asking for accountability. But yet, they'll be the first to shout about how the government is not doing things properly. So, we have to first look at ourselves yeah. and, and change ourselves if we want to have a real change in society. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. So anyway, I had, I had so, you know, um, the, the YDS class was a disaster. Then I went into the, the, so the next class was a chemistry class. Uh, you know, I had no idea what they were talking about. And then the next one after that was physics. Ironically, by the way, after they had made me change course because I, I didn't have physics, I could also then do physics as part of my prelims. You know, strange. Really? Yeah, so anyway, the third class was physics. Um, and I got into the classroom, they were doing um, a test. Anyway, so long story short, when the exams came, I didn't have any receipts. Yeah? But all my scores were between 40 and 49. Out of? Out of 100. But good thing 40 was passed. It was E. So I had a E, I think E was 40 to 44. And then D was 45 to 49, something like that. So I had all my, all the scores were either a D or, or an E, but I, didn't, but I didn't, I didn't fail any, but I didn't score to fit in any of them, but that also then was another moment to pause yeah. and sit down, because I thought to myself, Victor, you, don't, you didn't really get up to 50% in any of the subjects, so you better sit down and study, otherwise yeah. they're going to be rusticated.
What's the case that they were yeah, supposed well, to you? Know, you? If you don't do very well, they ask you to go, you know, to go away from the school they or do? maybe change department or something. Okay, so, yeah, maybe a change of department. Yeah. So um, that made me sit down. So when my friends would be, you know, playing, um, you know, arranging the parties that were going to happen and all of that, I said, better don't follow them. You have catch up to do better sit your them they got the B's and the A's. Yeah, the so A's you better A's. settle down. You better sit down here and get the job done. So that followed me throughout my stay in school. And ironically from second semester, I began to do very well. You know, because as you know, first semester is distinct. Second semester is a brand new semester yeah. with, with new courses. You start from the beginning and you follow you through until onto the exams. So my results were much better, but then that, that discipline again of sitting down and studying. And that that mindset that don't follow them, you better sit down and read your books, kind mm -hmm. of followed me. And even though I began to socialize, you know, in the later years, I go to party and all of that, but you know, I had a program whereby it was like, yeah, you can go to the party, but you have to do the work first before you go. I was actually even just going to ask that, yeah. would you say that you were a social butterfly? Like, were you one of the popular kids? Were you the friend of everybody? No, I wasn't because I was, uh, if there was a choice between studying and going to party, I was studying. But I did go to my, my fair share of parties. Um, but I would, so I was very disciplined. I would typically have a siesta after, after classes. Oh, so, so you had a routine. I had a routine. But on the party days, I would skip the siesta and, and study. study at that time so that during your study time yeah. you could go party. Yeah. That's balanced. Yeah. I, I actually think that's very good. And that only was that, you know, let's say most of the parties are maybe on the Friday night. So I would have gone for classes during the day. Maybe the classes ended by 2 p.m. And then I would stay back in class to study until about 8, maybe 7, 8. And then when I get back to the hostel to begin to prepare for the party, I would see that my colleagues that left class since 2 p.m. had been you know, discussing the party. They hadn't done anything but talk about the party. You know, by the time I come back and say seven or eight or eight o'clock, I just kind of you know get into the mood of it and you know go with them as opposed to them the, that they burnt the yeah. whole day invested in that party yeah. that's probably just an hour, two hours, three hours. Yeah. I didn't think I had an advantage by doing what I was doing. I just thought you have to do that to even be at the same level that they are at. So I didn't feel I was that was the same thing with me yeah. because in my course so I had a bunch of friends, they were like my closest, and all of them were my course mates. Mm. And one of the best students, I think she ended up being the second best graduating student in our course. Mm. She didn't used to study as much as I would. Like she was very chill, let's say like quarter to the exam, she can start reading. There were times that she'd read throughout the whole semester, but there were times that it was just quarter to the end and she'd just start reading. And she'd still be like the best in the set or the second best. And I never for once felt like, Oh, see, she's doing it like this. Why can't I? Because I said, for me to even be competing with her, getting close to her, I mean, I know what I have to do. Yeah. So imagine if I'm not now doing that, where would yeah. I be? Yeah. I think people need to understand, you need to understand yourself. yourself how yes. you read, how you retain, what, what you works read, for you. What works me, Very important. To remember, I need, if I need to read it 30 times and he needs to read it twice, I will read it 30 yeah. times. I'm not now going to say it because this person is doing this. That's this recipe for failure. <laughs> recipe for, and my friends are not going to hear that. Oh, your friend did this. They don't care. <laughs> they didn't give birth to their friend. Yep. It's, it's you. And what's the result? Do you understand? Okay. Um. So I think we have an idea of what the background is. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to straight shooting into some one or two questions. So, yes. Let's start with, what are your personal interests, dreams, aspirations, things you, you're personally passionate about? 
Um, personal interest first. Let me start with leisure. Uh, believe it or not, I like I like the good life. So you asked me about music and uh, and uh, movies and movies earlier on. So I like both of them. Um, growing up as a child, I got I got I got beaten a lot a number of times because I had life out when I had to be in the house. But then I would go and watch a movie and then I'd be late coming in and then I'd get beaten. <laughs> that that was that was how much I liked movies. movies. But in spite of that. You still I'll, choose I'll music. music. <laughs> so I like I like all of that. Um, I like to think I you know, I like to make an impact. Yeah. You know, like um, you know, we just discussed lecture as a you know, minute ago. Um, you know, being able to I think myself as as a teacher, I like to teach people. I like to 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 see that you know light coming through their eyes that now they understand this. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah, I, t- I take pleasure in you know being able to see that transformation, and that has been part of my 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 attraction to KPMG because you know part of what we do as the older members of KPMG is you know in a sense teach and and help the younger ones begin to get the technical knowledge and the social skills also that they need to be successful in a firm like KPMG. You know, so I'm passionate about that. Um, I see the work I do as a means to make a difference. So it's not the work, you know, in itself necessarily, but you know that I'm able to make a difference in what I do. Yeah. Um, why I ended up doing, you know, doing my work is interesting. Um, and I'll tell another story. You were here for that. <laughs> so when I was in the uni, um, eventually, like I said, I, I had planned that I would, I would change course at some point, but you know how that thing is, you know. When I graduate, when I after my first year, so when they saw the result that I made, that um, if you're looking to, so they used to have different kinds of of evaluation, so that be those that the average mark is is A, mm-hmm. and there be those that they call most improved. Okay. So if you looked at my results, first semester everything be, below fifty, and, and then second the next semester, semester there were some that were in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the most improved. So chemistry wasn't going to lay one of the Budding stars as it were, you know, go off. But yeah, and then I thought, you know, um, really, I can, I can do this. Yeah. So I ended up staying in chemistry. I made a first class. Wow. Um, not because I was better than anybody else, because of the that fear that kept driving me. And it's interesting. I don't know if you know Serena Williams. Yes, I do. Um, she w- she was once asked, you know, what made her so successful. That was the love of success or the yeah. fear of failure. Her answer was it was a fear of failure. She simply hated to lose. So it wasn't the joy from winning. It was just for the, the I don't the, want to lose. I don't want to I hate to lose. Yeah. That made her so successful. Yes. So when I left school, um I got a scholarship to do a master's in the school. Uh, it was in chemistry, right? So I turned it down. Wow. Um and my, my professor who I became very close to family you know he when he when he because i went to visit him for my youth service and he was very proud to give me the letter of uh, you know offering me the scholarship so when i said i'm not so sure i want to do this he was like why people are people are killing themselves to have this and here, here you are and you're saying no why you're throwing it away when i explained to him what i saw myself doing in future which was very very uncoordinated, very raw, <laughs> because I didn't know about professional services firms. I was just telling him the kind of thing I saw myself doing and how chemistry didn't quite fit into it. Into that picture. He was the one that said, oh, 
you should go to accounting firms like KPMG, you know, you called all of them that time. That what I'm trying to do is, and the people that will sort of bring me up in that line. So, so maybe I'm one of the few people who, who ended up, in, you know, in a place where, where they have passion. So straight from NYSC, you started with KPMG? No, I mean, so when he told me that story, I didn't understand it because I thought, what's wrong with you, you know? I've just told them I'm done with schooling. I'm suggesting I should go and study accounting. That was how, <laughs> that's what he was saying. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, growing up, we were, we were taught to be respectful. So rather than ask him to explain himself, but I just said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Thank you Thank very you. much. And I walked away and forgot all about it. So I picked a job with an, with, um, an estate management firm in Abda. Was making good money. But I just didn't feel that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. So while I was there, an uncle who I studied in the UK came back to Nigeria and um, again asked me the same question that my professor had asked me. And I, I, I said the same thing to him. I, again, he said, accounting firms. And I was like, hang on a minute, there's too much coincidence. Yeah. Um, but with him, I could, I you could were more ask comfortable. questions. So yeah. I asked questions and he said, yeah, this, 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 you know, this what I go. You don't have to go back to school to do this. You'll be in employment. A professional exam and that's it yeah so that then i was interested ironically the very next day there was an advert oh <laughs> at that point everything was just like yeah this is what i'm supposed to be right. all roads lead to kpmg yeah. at this point so i in fact he brought the paper in fact he came to the exam and said you don't see the advert i said what advert he said oh, no go and look for the paper of uh, the, the guardian of yesterday there was an advert by one of the you know accounting firm. i think you should apply i said okay then I forgot. In the evening, he came with the paper himself, <laughs> you know. And then I applied, and then, you know, as they said, the rest is history. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the next question would be that, did growing your career ever stop you from achieving your dreams? Now, from what you've explained, though, your dreams have actually been in line with your career from the jump. Yeah. You didn't have, I wouldn't say you had any particular extracurricular in the sense that uh, you didn't want to be an artist undercover, you didn't want to be a designer, you didn't want to do any of this, you always wanted to do this. Yeah. So there wasn't such a, that wasn't such a problem for you. No, it wasn't. Um, okay. And also, I should say that, you know, um, my formative years in, in, in KPMG, you know, coincided with when a lot of these banks were emerging. Okay. Like GT Bank, like Zenith Bank, etc. Yeah. And at that time, there was a lot of, you know, coming to places like KPMG and asking us to join the banks, and they would pay you three times. What? We were, you know, so a lot of, our, of my colleagues at the time left to join. I wasn't interested. You still wanted to do? Yeah. I just wasn't interested. I remember one of the, one of the MDs at the time actually invited me to his office, unsolicited. And um, you know, just said to me that you know, some of, his, of my colleagues that had joined him, he had. I come to ask them, you know, who else should I be interested in, in, in KPMG? And I said, there's this Victor Nemba, I think you should bring him. So that's why he called me and he said, I should name, you know, the level I want to join. In that conversation, I just couldn't wait to get out of the office. <laughs> I wasn't interested. And the particular individual and his bank were reputed to be cowboys. So even if I was going to work for a bank and for someone, not him. It wasn't going to be him? Yeah. But the thing is, I wasn't really interested. So yeah. um, at the end of the conversation, I said, okay, I, I need to go think about it and uh, get yeah. back to you. 
but you you weren't gonna have any positive response. Never went back. Hmm. Interesting. So now it would be since your dreams or aspirations didn't suffer in any way, would you say like your personal or social life ever took a hit because of your job? Because I do know from personal experience that it can be a very demanding job working in a multinational, working in any organization actually, but even more so a multinational can be very demanding. Did it ever take a hit on your social life? Well, it did. Um, I don't think it was so much the, the workers, um, you know, getting what it takes to be successful at, you know, at the work. So for instance, in my early years, we had to write professional exams mm -hmm. to be qualified accountants. And back in the day, we didn't have mobile phones. And because we were working, um, most of the lectures were over the weekend. So Saturday, you know, by seven o'clock, the lectures have started, by eight o'clock, the lectures would have started, and they don't end until six in the evening. The same thing on Sunday. So we had seven days a week kind of, you know. Intense. Yeah, intense. So Monday to Friday, you are working. Saturday to Sunday, you are in school. And during those times, we just know that there will be no social life. Yeah. And our friends back in the day, you know, they will come to visit. Um, what bachelors like me would do would be that to have paper, a, note, a notepad and a pen hanging on their door. So when they knock another, they'll just write you a note. That's how you know <laughs> somebody came to visit. And then I remember a particular friend of mine that visited three weekends in a, row. in a row and you were never around and then he wrote you know the third time he came he said this is the third time i'm coming i'm not going to look you know, look you up again so you can't find me and you know i, I looked at him and said oh yeah that's true i need to i need to catch up with you know with john didn't cross my mind to catch up with john until after the exams which oh. was several months away oh. still so we had those moments but we also understood that there were things that we had to do yeah. If we wanted to advance in our careers. Of course. You know. So we did that and then when the when the exams are over before the next the next one starts, we parted hard. You know, we, we caught up so to speak with the fun that we thought we missed when yeah. we were focused on that. But you know, whenever it was time to be focused, we did. I've never been one, I wouldn't say I've never been one for parties, but be, with the background I've had, I've never just been one to be outside and just going for parties mm. all the time. Mm. And I met, I had a particular friend that that was his MO. If it was a party, he was there. And I used to feel like I was missing out. And he told me, he said, all the things you're busy doing when I'm partying. Yeah. Like, I, like it would take me years to catch up and do those things. Every party experience I've had in my life, you can get it in, in one, one night. <laughs> He's like, in one night, you will experience it all. So at the end of the day, you realize that. And you're those things, off. you're better off. Yeah like developing yourself or doing whatever you're way better off mm. okay so how would you say moving on you were able to balance both even after the exam the job alone how were you able to balance your job and your personal life with now having a family having kids okay so there are days we slept in the office hmm. and then there are days i left the office at 4, 4 p.m to go do stuff so I have always been a, a stickler, I would say, for work-life balance. Yeah. I remember as a very, as a very young staff, you know, a couple of years in the firm, um, my boss would come and give me a job at, say, 4 p.m. in the evening. And for the average person, by the way, I didn't, I didn't say this earlier, but um, I'm a morning person. 
Okay. I'm, I'm at my best in the morning. Yeah. Not in the evening, not, certainly not at night. At <laughs> night, I want to sleep. So, so he will, maybe there'll be two of us, so he'll give both of us something to do at 4 p.m. I'm going home. <laughs> because I, I told myself, gosh, I need, this looks complicated. Therefore, I need a fresh head to do it. Therefore, I'm going, I'm going home now so I can have a fresh head in the morning. In the morning. Well, that's my, other colleague might say, Okay, I have to sit down and do this. Yeah, already. because I would say that a lot of people yeah. would be more inclined to be like, they're giving you the work, you have to do yeah. it now, you have to do it now. Yeah. If not, I mean, lose my job. People are very yeah. scared and just feel the need to. Yeah. And I think that's what causes a lot of work-life imbalance, actually, yeah. because people can't juggle that. Because if you have to, if you have to meet everything as soon as it comes to your desk, you have to do yeah. You will never have, you'll just be racing against the clock. You're never going to have yeah. time. And, I, and the thing that helped was, um, I think I was, I was confident as, as a very young man, very confident, so I could, Ask the boss, when do you want this? And he probably say, oh, in two days' time. I said, I don't have to do it now if it's in two days' time. And so I could ask that question. And then I could say, I want to go home now. Is there any, any, anything you want me to do? And usually the answer is no. Just remember that assignment that I said to you is, is due in two, years, in, in two days' time. I yeah. said, yeah, I remember. I'll have you ready. Say, then you can go. So I could, I could do stuff. So I would go home, play tennis. I love playing tennis, by the way. Oh. Uh, and then, you know, maybe... By six the next day, I'm sitting on my desk, and then I've already started on the, on the work. And by by ten, I would have, you know, really made a, a, a very impressive push on it. But I'm probably leaving at four, you know, four four p.m. again that that same day to go do other other stuff. So I have always been um, into into taking time for personal life. Yeah. I have a personal philosophy, which I try to share with people whenever I can. Which yeah. Is, this is a life, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have a life for work, and then another life to do the things that you want to do with your life, this is it. It's in this one, so you this have to put it. it all together and Therefore make it you work have to find somehow. Somehow, while you're doing the work, to get all these other things done. Yeah. You know, so because I always had that, that mindset. It helped you a lot. It helped me in terms of trying to balance work life balance. I mean, like I said, um, I've slept, I've had my, my fresh house sitting in the in office. In the office. So those were exceptions. Would you say your wife was very helpful and supportive in those periods? Well, luckily, I, I haven't slept in the office since I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> this one, this, 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 Lucky for you, then. They were mostly in my, in my early years. Um, but when I meant sleeping, I meant sleeping in the office. You know, you, you walked all through the night and went home. Not in the morning of the next day, but in the afternoon of the next afternoon day. Afternoon of the next day. Uh, but of course, I've then had cause to go home at when I was married to go home at 12 midnight but that's not the same as sleeping sleeping in the office is definitely not the same yeah. because I know that like if you don't have like a strong support system that could be a bit difficult oh yeah that could be a bit difficult because then it's like you have your family your kids your kids want to see you before you go to bed yeah. I think it was Professor Pat that was talking about a lady that just her child didn't recognize her when she came home. She used to work in one of those banks. And then she came back home at a point and the child didn't recognize her. And that was the day she resigned. She said, no, I can't do this anymore. If my own child cannot recognize me and he's calling my maid mommy, yeah, mommy then yes. that's, well, there's that's no story, point. That story was rife in our early professional life um, of people that worked all kinds of hours and doesn't have time for their family. Um, I was lucky. Yeah. But I had bosses who didn't care when their work was done, so long as it was done. And because I, like I said, I was a morning person, I could then go home early, um, and then also come early. I remember having a, a conversation by the one of my bosses, 
uh, early in my career, who was used to when he would be going home, all the juniors would be in the office. Mm -hmm. And when he comes in at uh, 10 a.m. the next day, mm -hmm. everybody is there. <laughs> and so he kind of noticed that when he is going at night, I'm the one who isn't there. <laughs> and when he comes in the morning, all of us are there. And then one day he called, called me and said, you know, how come, how come, you know, you are always leaving early? I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you, I was very confident as a young person. Very, I can tell. Let me ask you a question. Do, do you know when I get into the office in the morning? Because you come at 10 and all of us are there. You don't know who came first, at who six, came last, yeah. And who came at five minutes to 10 because they know you'll be there at 10. So, so when you ask me to do something, I don't, I don't do it in the night, I do it in the morning. But I'm usually here more than you know, earlier than anybody else. But you don't know that because when you come, all of us are here. Yeah. And secondly, is there anything you've ever asked me to do that was not done was, in time? That was not done in time and in good quality, at least for my level. You want to be senior, you want your work done. You know, you tell me what you want. And guys said, I want my work done. And that was the end of that conversation. I think those are actually, I think you actually really have been lucky with the people you had to supervise you because mm -hmm. there's some people that will personally challenge that. Yeah. yeah but I think you've very, you've been very lucky. Have been. Thank God. <laughs> um, so the next question I'd ask is, would you encourage younger people to be entrepreneurs that is start their own businesses mm -hmm. which was supposed to be the point of this episode which is that a lot of people tend to believe that it's so much better to own your own company be an entrepreneur start this start that everyone wants to be a young ceo young boss and so it's like would you would you say it's better to pursue that or start somewhere and build in another organization i mean and build let me start by saying I have tremendous respect for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, I have friends who have done, who have set up their own shop and I have utmost respect for them. Yeah. I think the first thing someone needs to establish is the kind of person you are. Yeah. We're not all caught out to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. And what I find that the number of us, because they have friends who are entrepreneurs, um, then think, oh yeah, that's the thing to do. Mm -hmm. I personally have lost money, you know, because people have said, oh, this is what I want to do. I, you know, that's what I was born to do. Um, if only I can get some money, I would, I would be great at it. And then, you know, you say, okay, here's some money, let's see. And then they fell spectacularly. So I think the first thing would be for you to really, really know who you are. Are you caught out to be an entrepreneur or not? We can't all be entrepreneurs. Yeah. That's the first thing. The second is that for those who might be entrepreneurs, one of the reasons why a lot don't set up successful businesses is because they lack structure. And so even for those who perhaps have the entrepreneurial spirit running in them, I would advise that in your, in your early years, spend time working in a structured organization. So you know about processes yeah you know about keeping records yeah you know about you know, you know the fact that you are separate from the business and they can't simply dip your hand in the in the in the till and take money because you own the business it has to be a process you know that separates you the individual from the business even though it's, it's your own business so having those structures and, and things in place helps for 
a successful entrepreneur tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so for those who can, I will still suggest that you spend some time working in a structured environment where you can understand processes, uh, you know, etc. You know, controls, finance, accounting, HR, how you deal with other people, and all those, you know, you know, those things that make a business successful. Yeah. So really, um, it's what I don't. We are just different people. Yeah. I think the real key thing is to understand who you are, whether you are cut out to be an entrepreneur or really you are a nine to five person. Now, there's no shame in being a nine to five person. Exactly. There's a book I recommend. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. It's a very simplistic book, but it talks about how you, how you grow wealth. And at the heart of it is, it comes down to the discipline, how you manage your resources, you know, that will make you a successful man financially or not. Not necessarily because you set up a business as your own. I have friends who run businesses for 30 years. You know, it's still kind of hand to mouth type of business. Yeah. I know people that have worked nine to five and they're very, very comfortable. Yeah. You know, uh, later on in life. So to each his own, but everybody needs to understand, like with studying, you need to know what works you for you. You need to know who you are and what works for you. But then also it's also very important to have structure. Yes, learn how to learn about structures. I agree with that hundred percent. I actually believe that you can do both. But that's it. And I think I, I've always been a strong believer of work starts with a proper organization. If you mm -hmm. want to do your thing, you can do it because in the initial stage, it will be very small. So mm -hmm. it's something you can manage on the side. While you're working, yeah. Then when it becomes big enough, you have the experience of the structure and all those things you need to learn. And then you can now say, okay, I'm done with this. I want to go into this full time. And what you see about lots of these bigger organizations is that it's a moving engine. Like if, if you go business continues yeah. so you know it's fine if you leave and uh -huh. go and start your own thing uh -huh. or you continue with your own uh -huh. thing but for yourself i think it works and and also because at the beginning of most businesses is there's no certainty there's no at the end of the month fixed income there's no at the end of the month this is coming in yeah. and i do believe i strongly believe that consistent income is so important. It helps with planning your life. Uh -huh. It helps with a lot of things. Uh -huh. If you know that, okay, at the end of the month, though, I'm going to get this certain amount of money. If you're running a business, this month may go, you may not make sales. Yep. What's going to happen then? Yep. What would you say? Like, and will you not eat? <laughs> you have a head cost, exactly. You have, so you have to pay transport. You, if you have employees, you have to pay yeah, them you have too. To pay them. So I actually believe you can do both until the point that you can do no more and one, and then you now see which one is paying me more. I've been yeah. doing this, yeah. which one pays me more and then you stick let, with let, it. Let me say uh, in the night that if you, if you have the entrepreneurial streak running in you, yeah. you should ultimately be looking to run your own business. Um, but there's a misconception that we all have to be entrepreneurs. Yes. We're setting up our own shop and doing our own thing. It has to be the I really, goal. I really don't know about that. First of all, it's, it's not a... Well, people that have been successful in what they've done, in my opinion, are not those who have gone into it for the money, but those who have gone into it because they just love it. Yeah. And they have passion for it. So if you have passion for something, be successful. That was when you asked me the question, you know, be, be, be the best in something that's not important and yeah. be average in something else. And I said that I'd rather be the best in something that appears not to be important because... I mean, like I said, you know, when, when we were growing up, playing football, nobody, nobody paid. You didn't, 
people who play football professionally were the failures in society. Mm-hmm. But look at today. Yeah. You know, look at today. But look at music. Several years ago, Nigerian music was, you know, so a lot of them, you know, went around playing at, at, at clubs and just barely being able to make enough money to, to properly finance themselves. But look at today. They yeah. are multi-millionaires. Yeah. So it has to be something you have passion for. Yeah. I have I know I know a lady that left the bank to to go into interior decoration. She's very successful at it. You know, I know I know someone else that left the bank to go into farming, doing an exceedingly good job. Somebody else left the bank. Unfortunately a lot of them are leaving the bank to do this <laughs> stuff. Another one left the bank to go into real estate. Yeah. Phenomenal success there. But it has to be something you have passion for. And yeah. not something you are doing just because other friends of yours have gone into yeah. it. Yeah. And I would say, if you've decided that you have, you have, you have um, the passion, try and learn structure by working somewhere for a bit. Yeah. So all these, all these fads of, I can't work for anybody else. Mm, that's yeah. another one. A lot of people yeah. don't believe they can work. Like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. Why can't you do it? I feel like it instills a certain level of discipline. Discipline is very important in everything you do in life. Exactly, because if you can't discipline yourself as your own boss to yeah. know that, okay, this is company money, this is my money, this yeah. is this, I'm the boss, but I have to do this at this time. Yeah. I have to set KPIs for yourself, set deliverables for yourself. If you can't do that and be your own boss, then it's going to be like failure and arrival. Yes. Yeah. It's a struggle. I completely agree. So as we wrap up, I would ask, what would you say are the benefits of working in nine to five? What are the things that over the years you've appreciated about, you know, building a career within an organization? Well, that's a difficult question um, because it could be a function of what the individual derives from the particular job he or she does. Um, I am a partner, so for me, it's not quite the the conventional nine to five because we own this business. So if we don't make money, we are the ones who will be out of pocket. So as a partner, my pay is not guaranteed. Are you serious? Yes, it's not guaranteed. I thought you had your fixed pay and then the yeah. stake. So if I if I speak about KPMG, um, even though I shouldn't, but you know I pay you um, before the end of the month. Yes. We get paid after the month has ended. So the philosophy there is that we have to make sure that it's money to pay the partners after we pay everybody else. That's it. That's the philosophy. Um, so as a partner, nothing is guaranteed. So even though there's an amount we allow you to draw every month, it could, it could conceivably come a time where we tell you, well, there's no money to draw, so you have to, you have to forfeit it for this month. That's so scary. Yes. And that's precisely the principle of uh, entrepreneurship yes yeah. you bear the risk that's yeah. <laughs> and to me that's the fun of being an employee anywhere that like you're not the one bearing the risk but as a yeah. partner no you're bearing the risk yeah, well i have been an employee up, up until i became a partner so um so if i live now and talk about when i was an employee which i, I suppose is the most of your yeah. audience are going to be in that space so of course there is the there is the the certainty of your pay because if you're working in a, you know, with a good employer, he will make every effort to pay you because he knows that the moment he begins to default on, on salaries of his employees, then the business is, is at risk. Yeah. So if there has to be one person that gets paid even before suppliers is the is employee. Mm-hmm. So as, a, as an employee, you have that. Um, the other thing, again, that um, if you work in a good place, does for you, a typical nine to five is the chance to, you know, learn structure mm-hmm. um, people don't 
fully appreciate it. But the fact I have to get into the office by, by 8, I think that's the resumption time. And never mind what's happened with COVID and all the hybrid and work from home. Yeah. That we have now. But, you know, traditionally, you are required to be at the workplace at a certain time. Yeah. And to stay there until a certain time. That yeah. discipline of, I like to catch an extra hour sleep, but I can't. I have to get up. And get ready for work. Mm-hmm. You don't know what that does to you as an individual. An individual. You know. So I think that's very important. Yeah. Clearly, one of the other things they're going to find if you work for a good organization is the training. They're going to invest in making you the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book now written by a friend of mine called Babs Motawa, and the book is called From Storeroom to Boardroom, and tells the story of how he, Babs, moved from being the manager of a store to being on the board of one of the multinational companies in the world, first of all in Nigeria and then you know, globally. Um, and he says that one of the things that got him there was the discipline and training. And he said people have to be willing to invest in themselves. And he tells a story in that book of a time that a foreign trip was cancelled because of uh, budget constraints. And a lot of his colleagues, you know, who are supposed to be on that training with him, you know, just kind of sat back and grumbled. But he thought to me, hang on a minute, this training is for me. Um, I'm being well paid by this company, so if they can't pay for it, I can pay for myself and go for the training. Yeah. And he paid for it himself and went for the training. A lot of us don't properly understand the benefit of training. Even when we are scheduled to be on training, we'd rather go and do something else than pay attention and get the value of the training. Yes. I think that's one thing that, as an employee, you have to, have to prioritize. If you are put on training, don't compromise it. Yeah. And sometimes invest in your own self-development. Of course. A lot of us are not doing enough self-development. It's only what the company gives us that we take. But if you want to get ahead, you have to take whatever the company is giving you. And, and do more. And do more for yourself. That's what will make you better than the next person. I mean, if you assume you all have the same average intelligence and you want to be ahead of the pack, you have to do more than the average person. Yeah. So what the company is giving all of you can be how you're going to Mm-hmm. you know, leave that pack and be the leader of the pack. You have to be willing to invest in your own self-development. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, the other, the, other, the other benefit is that you form great relationships, networks with your colleagues at work, that even when people move on, you have this wide range of uh, people that you know that you can call on. Very so, big network. For instance, when I go to anywhere in the world, there's somebody that I have worked with at one point or that I can actually call up and say, hey, I'm in, I'm in town, you know, yeah. so let's meet up. <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing, you know, how much how much that network can be. Can benefit you. So I hear that um this position yes. of CEO yes. is it is not it's not for life, it's a tenured one, which is that after four years, if that's correct, mm-hmm. you finish from that position or you have to leave the position. So what are the plans when that four years elapses? Do okay. you plan so, to stay, retire? Okay. Um how it works in KPMG is that every four years, the partners elect a senior partner. And because we want to hold that senior partner personally accountable for how well or not we do, we give him or her the free hand to form his executive committee. Uh, and one of the positions of the executive committee is that of the chief operating officer. So the national partner, the senior mm-hmm. partner, appoints a partner to be a CEO. Okay. So I was asked by Kunle Lebuta, our current senior partner, to be his CEO when he became the senior partner 
in 2015, I believe it was, or 16. When you got that news, how did you feel? Were you excited? No, I mean, I wasn't expecting it. Um, I was the head of tax. Actually, it was uh, at that point, I, I thought I had been head of tax for too long. I had at that point been head of tax for eight years. Oh. And I was thinking, I should let someone else be doing this. Yeah. Um, and I had thought to myself, I'll go and tell him that I don't want to be head of tax anymore. I just want to go back to being a regular partner in tax. But um, there were a lot of changes that had happened that I thought, if I do this, it might be as if we are saying we don't quite trust him to, yeah. to, to, lead. to, lead, to lead. So maybe I should give him a bit of time to settle and then I go and tell him. And then, then he approached me and said, I would like you to be my CEO. So that was a good <laughs> way to stop being the head of tax. You know? And I really, I really like that, that vote of confidence. And because he appointed me, he could have told me Victor at any point, you know, thank you very much, but um, I'm gonna have another C another C E O. Um he's been the senior partner for six years now. His mm -hmm. his term would would end in October when he will be retiring. Okay. And he's kept me for as long as being the national senior partner. So Maybe there are a few things I did well that that, uh, that kept you in that self position. Uh, but come October, yeah, uh, we now have a an, another senior partner who will be resuming in October. Yeah, and he's appointed his CEO. <gasps> so I'll be going back to tax from October. You go, so you're going back. You're not retiring. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not up to retirement age yet. And um, I love what I do. So I'll be going back to tax. That makes sense. I don't know how I would feel if I was in your shoes. I don't know how I would take that though. Like. Being in that position and then not being imagine walking past this office and you and you're not coming in because it's not your office anymore. Okay. I don't know. Let me tell you why maybe I'm able to do it. I'm okay. sorry I have a lot of stories that I tell but no problem. Um, <laughs> um, several years ago I uh, attended when I was head of tax, maybe my second or third year as the head of tax, I attended a program at Harvard Business School. Uh, the program is called Managing Professional Services Firm. And at the program were many managing partners of law firms from the US and, and the UK, you know, at the program. And of course we interacted a lot and um, you know, I used to kind of go to them and say, you know, how do you how do you like being a managing partner of your law firm? And they are prestigious, you know, mm -hmm. global law firms, not 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 a mom and pop type of law firm. <laughs> and almost to the last man, they used to say to me, I can't wait for my time to be over so I can return back to doing client work. <laughs> really? Yes, and I thought, wait a minute, this is very different from what happens in, in Nigeria. In Nigeria, yeah. Where once you are made the... You want the to stay CEO, there for life. You stay there until you die. <laughs> How come these guys are looking forward to stepping down from that position and then just going back to regular, regular client work? And that left a chord with me. That struck a chord with me. And I realized that actually... When you've done something for a length of time, the ideas you have are going to kind of become stale. And for the sake of the organization, you know, you should actually, after a while, kind of step down. Step down. Unless someone with fresh ideas, fresh perspectives, you know, more energy, etc. Try. And that way you're, you're able to, to really move the organization forward. And that was where I was looking to to step down from the head of tax after spending eight years. It wasn't just that I, I woke up and decided that I didn't like positions, but because of that, that, that um, mindset I had developed from sticking 
with these guys. I thought someone else should come and try it. You know, if I haven't been able to do it in eight years, man, I'm not going to do it now. Um, and so it's the same thing that's enabling me. And I'm very comfortable. I'm looking forward to going back to SACS. By the way, when I go back to SACS, I'm not going to be the head of SACS. There's a new head of SACS. Oh, no. Who, who will be my boss? Who at the time was reporting into me, and I'm going to report into him. Oh, you know, no. So it's going to be interesting. You're, you're excited you know, for it? I am, I am. And, you know, um, I've asked that he treats me like any other partner he's in his team. So, no, no, Victor used to be my boss kind of thing. You know, yeah. Not a Tell me what he needs me to do. I'm not doing it properly. Come into your office, Lord, and say, hey, Victor, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you really need to sit up and get this thing done. I like that. I like how you look at things. I think that's a very unique perspective on things and a unique, you know, approach to life. I like that. I respect that a lot. (laughs) I final question. I actually haven't asked. How many years have you been in KPMG? I've been here since 1990. I had a career break. Yes. Thank you. Before you were born. (laughs) Literally before. I'm aware. But I had a career break. Um, I think it was in 1999, sorry, in 2001. That's that, the year I was born. Yeah. That um, Shell, at that time I used to do a lot of work for Shell, and there was this gentleman basically in Shell UK that would come to Nigeria, have meetings with us, and all of that. In the long story short, the guy came, you know, interested me in working for Shell, not in Nigeria, but in the UK. So I left in 2000 to go join Shell. So I worked with Shell, first in the UK, and then I returned to Nigeria, and then in 2006, I returned to KPMG. KPMG. I've never looked back since then. Oh, wow. That's really nice. You've actually been very committed. I think, I don't know, the type of person I am, I feel like I'd want to see what's always like at the other side. Okay, is this shot today? Okay, I want to be in manufacturing today. I want to be in consulting tomorrow. Or I want to be in oil and gas. I want to be in telecoms. I don't know. I just, and I think that's something a lot of people in our generation do because in HR, we look at like the patterns in different demographics and mm-hmm. we see that our generation, mm-hmm. we like to move. We yeah. like to hop. We like to see. Your generation tends to be more loyal, tends to stay more, grow more with companies and invest more of their time. I don't know why we're like that. Well, I think. Like you said, there's, there's a bit of it at the time. There's also the bit of it around um, if you don't know what you want to do, then you're probably going to do a, a lot more of that moving around. Um, like I said, very early in my career, I had the opportunity of moving, but I wasn't interested. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it fundamentally is, are you doing what you want to do? Yeah. Um, obviously, when Shell came coming, I mean, Shell was one of the biggest companies in the world, the opportunity to go abroad and be an expatriate, you know, that was all very exciting and all of that. And they actually thoroughly enjoyed ourselves, my family and I. It was also a chance for me to appreciate KPMG because, you know, you, you always think, oh, things are better on the other side. Yeah. Um, and Shell was great for me to understand me. But then you also began to appreciate that these things I took for granted um, in KPMG actually are not so are not so available everywhere, everywhere else. else. And so I bet, I, I bet I was better able to appreciate it. And having been out and in, um, I am less interested. And in now going in back out again. I have a sense of what's out there and what's here. And I can, I mean, we are not perfect. We have yeah. our issues. Yeah. I'm aware of that. Some, I mean, and that's the other thing I like to mention. The reason why I was able to come back was because I left on the best of notes. 
Mm. My boss, when I was leaving, you know, we had very good relationship. He, like I said to you, what happened was the gentleman from the UK came to see us. Mm -hmm. We had a meeting. It was usually myself and my boss that he would meet with each time he came to Nigeria. We had we had a meeting in my boss's office. When we are done, he stood up to leave. My boss and I stood up to escort him. He got to my boss's doors, uh, you know, my boss's office's door and stopped and shook him. I said, thank you very much. So my boss kind of got the hint that, okay, he doesn't want me to follow, follow yeah. him. And he didn't shake me. So I carried on with him. And then we went downstairs. I saw him to his car downstairs. And then when we got there, he said, look, I'd like you to consider working for us in Share UK. I was like, okay. Uh, I'll think about it. As he entered his car, I went right back, back upstairs to your boss. my boss and said, this, this, this is what he just what, offered. What he just, what he just said to me. My boss said, why not explore it and see if it wasn't it like. wasn't shady it, it wasn't, wasn't shady, shady dealings it was very transparent very this transparent. is what's on the table so sometimes people think if i tell my boss he will stop it no yeah. i don't know what bosses you guys have or what they <laughs> that has not been my experience yeah I, I believe that if you are straight up i mean you have your senses i don't think any boss will call your potential employer and say don't employ him yeah why don't you want to employ him so you have, there have to be two reasons He's so good, I don't want him to That go. you want to hoard him. In which case, I want him, right? Or, he's so bad that, you you know, taking him would be a mistake. In that case, why don't you want him to go? No, exactly. Like, why are you, you know, not sacking him whilst he's yeah. working with you? So, there is no way your boss can call another boss and say, don't employ this guy, and it will make sense. Yeah. So, people that have come to me and shared their plans about staying or leaving and have advised them, I think, you have to ask them but i think that those that have been open with me have gotten the best idea i mean the best advice and that has helped their career yeah an example was a, a lady that used to work me, with me when i was head of tax got an offer with um, a multinational it looked like a good offer more 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 money and everything and she came and told me and i said hang on a minute i have i have i have friends that work in that organization let me find out about your offer yeah. Because we didn't know. They gave him high job, call it job, job level one, three, six, or whatever. We didn't know what that meant. Right? Mm -hmm. Or just a number. So when I called my friends that work in the place and said, I have a, I have a colleague that has just been made an offer uh, at this job level, they laughed and said, She won't even be able to teach in a management canteen. Eh? That, that, that level is not a management level. She won't be able to, but it was more money than we were paying her. Yeah. I went back to her and said, why would they even consider if you're a senior manager, how, how, how can you go to anywhere and not be a manager at the minimum? Don't take it. Most young people will say, they're offering me more money. I say, don't yeah. take it. They just want me to stay here. I'm not mm -hmm. looking at my best interest. Mm -hmm. But she listened and she didn't take it. And they said to her, well, that's the best you can offer. He said, okay, cheers. I'm, ha I'm happy where I am. She stayed. Six months later, uh, they came back and made her a better offer. I said, wait to... I went back. Because you went okay. to call again. Yes. And today she's a high flyer in the organization. So if she had gone on the At first that offer, level one, three, six. God knows what she would have ended up with. So I think there is value in speaking to, to people. Your boss. Yeah. And because I was very open with my boss, when I was, when I came back to Nigeria working for Shem, my boss would say, Hey Victor, one day in Lagos, come in, let's have lunch together, let's have dinner. You know, we had that relationship and I could walk in here to see him and we'll hug ourselves and everything. 
So he could easily say to me, Victor, I'd like you to come back. Yeah. And we could discuss it. Yeah. If you are left on a very bad note. It wouldn't that up you've burnt that bridge already. Nah, that, that bridge would have been gone. I understand that. Thank you very much, Victor. Thank I really you. appreciate you taking out the time to do this. I really do. Yes, thank you for coming on. And on that note, have a lovely day, guys. Make sure to take care of your mental health, as you know I always say. And yes, that's that with that.